clients, they want to get uh, passive income generating properties. And so I really help them find things that work the best for them, depending on how much money they have. You know, a lot of people, they have this idea, they want to get a 50 unit or a hundred unit building. And it's like, hey, you know, you can't really financially uh, afford that right now. So I kind of just try to help them get into where they fit in at that particular time and then just help them scale it over time. Interesting. I like that. I like that. Okay, so so you are a real estate guy. Correct. Yes. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So, uh, all right. So, did, did uh, let me ask this. Did uh, Sammy uh, kind of uh, pick some uh, questions for you in advance, or uh, did you kind of want to wing it, or what do you think? Um, I so want to focus the conversation on what you're comfortable with. Correct. So, um, he basically just asked me as far as uh, a little bit of background on myself, and so I sent him that, and then um. There was just one question I uh, he had asked me, is there any questions I wanted to be asked? And so I basically just said, you know, if, if at some point in time they could ask me what do I think is most important in our community as, as black people when it comes to, to building wealth. And so um, to me, to me, I think it's just, you know, learning how to, to earn wealth, grow wealth and keep wealth. You know, and I, I think that's um, the most important uh, for us right now. Let me uh, dig up. Let me grab some of the stuff she sent me. So, yeah, by the way, so, by the way, Sammy's a woman, but it's hard. You wouldn't know from the name. Oh no, no, I thought I thought I was speaking to a guy. Yeah, yeah, uh, everybody does. Yeah, yeah. Every, it happens to everybody. Okay, so you're from Nigeria. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I was born in St. Louis, Missouri, but um, 100 percent Nigerian. My, my mother, and my father, they came. My my dad came here when he was 17. My mom came when she was about 24, I believe. And so, um, yeah, so my dad was best friends with my mom's brother. That was kind of how, how they knew each other. Your dad was best friends with your mom's brother. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And here they are several kids later. Yep. <laughs> six, six kids total. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Are you the youngest, middle, or uh, No, no I'm, I'm the second born. going on about a year and a half uh i first met him about five years ago but um i, I wasn't really in the position to really you know I, I was still going through some growing pains you know and so it kind of took me a while to kind of grow up get professional and understand what was expected of me to kind of put my childish behavior behind myself and so probably about a year and a half was when i was really ready to step in 100 percent and give it all and, and really just commit to, to building up our community and and just, you know, just stop putting that, that ignorant stuff that just holds us, holds us back. You know, there's a lot of things that really just hurt us, you know, and um, oh, yeah. I think I was uh, a little, I was one foot in, one foot out at the time when I first met Jay. Wow. Wow. Well, here you are. Here you are now. I love it. Well, you know, all of us got to grow up and mature. I mean, Definitely. We, we go through our, you know, or at least I did, you know, make mistakes and, you know, you got to come back from some stuff and figure some things out, learn some stuff the hard way, and, you know, just hope that, hope that all your shit don't fall apart in the process. Definitely. definitely. So, at least that was my, my journey, you know, so, give me one second, brother, I'm about to uh, email the students right quick and make sure they uh, are aware uh, to come in. I know they know to come in, I just like to remind them. Of course. Here. Not a problem. 
And then one second, I'll uh, I'll ask you to hit your camera if if that's okay with you. Oh, of course. Uh, you Most definitely. Okay, okay, okay. Give me one second. Don't don't. Let's not hit it now because literally, if somebody's out like waiting outside the webinar, they can see us just sitting there. Okay. So you know, <laughs> yeah. So you know, you pick your nose or something. People. <laughs> of course. Yeah, so I so. Learned that, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> So the the button that, that I will press will be the where it says start broadcast. Uh, well, actually, that's the button I would push. There's okay. a button that looks like a little camera. Looks like a little camera icon. Uh, oh, okay, I see it. I see it to the left. Yeah. I see it. Okay. Yeah, I was doing a lot of guerrilla marketing. A lot of the things I was learning was stuff I was reading from books and online. And then I, I eventually took my real estate license class and took my exam, passed my exam, became an agent. So, uh, but in the beginning, it was a lot of just, you know what? I just want to learn what I can on my own, and um, spend about a year doing that. Conversations are very laid back, low key. It's not, you know, it's not. I'm not gonna grill you or anything. So, sure, sure. I just want you to know that. Not a problem. Yeah, Sounds case. good. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm pretty much a you know off the cuff kind of guy, you know. So I'm 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 pretty much. I don't know. I guess that's something I've picked up over the last year to kind of just you know go with the flow of the conversation. So, I, either way it goes, I'll be able to keep up. Oh yeah, yeah. I know you could. I you I, I doubt you'd be working with Jay if you wasn't sharp. So, uh, <laughs> You got this. You got the seal of approval from a brilliant guy, so I, I respect you already. All right, so we, uh, we're going to start in three, two, one. Uh, but don't hit your camera yet. Uh, okay. I'll, uh, I'll uh, just say hi to him real quick. Okay. Good. And go. The broadcast is now starting. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Hey everybody, what's up? How you doing? I uh, hope that you're doing well today. Um, I'll give you guys a chance to kind of come in and. Uh, get started. Hey, Steven. I see Steven's here. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, and I'll go ahead. Uh, before I bring in our guests, I'll go ahead and turn my camera on so you know that it's me. Oh, wow. The lighting is so dark. I didn't know the light was so dark in here. Um, so sorry about that, guys. I had no idea. I'm looking at this. This is It's almost like it's extra dark. Um, but um, uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I'm the black guy in the picture, the, the really dark black guy. And, uh, and, I, and I hope that, uh, I hope a lot of you are, are coming in today because we've got a real estate uh, expert that's going to join us in class today. Um, and uh, before I get to that, I want to uh, do the quick hellos with everybody. Uh, hey, Ernest, good to see you. Uh, hey, Stephanie, good to see you too. Malcolm, all right, all right, excellent, good to see you, brother. Okay, and uh, I'll give you guys a chance to kind of get settled and everything else. And I'm going to put something on the Facebook page to let people know that we're here. So this, if people are on the Facebook page, they can join us as well. Um, just give me one second here.
Okay, so uh, Rodelson, how you doing? I see you in there, Rodelson. I hope that your lamp business is doing well. I hope you're uh, moving forward on that. Um, keep keep moving forward. You know, uh, everybody, I want you to really think for a second about, you know, what the new year kind of means to you in terms of, of you really going after whatever goal uh, you have for yourself, whatever it is you're trying to do for 2016. Um, I want you to also reflect honestly on 2015, kind of look at the things that went well, the things that you want to have go better. Um, you know, I, I don't believe, I really I really just kind of believe that anybody who really works hard and keeps an optimistic attitude um, is almost never really going to have a year where they look bad and feel like it was just a horrible year. You know, um, don't get me wrong. I mean, things happen, you know, people die, things happen out of our control. But generally speaking, the majority of what happens to you in your life is really connected to what you choose to do and how hard you choose to work and uh, you know, how much effort you put toward achieving what you're trying to achieve. And, and so in a way, I kind of look at life kind of like, um, you know, a, a really good football team trying to win the Super Bowl. If you've ever seen a really good football team win the Super Bowl, um, they usually have, have a rough road. They usually have a tough season. They have some injuries. They have things that go wrong unexpectedly. But they just kind of fight through all the setbacks. And because they're so talented and because they're so disciplined and because they're so focused and committed to winning, uh, they still overcome all of that. And they say, yeah, it was a rough year. We went through some rough stuff, but we, we walked away with the championship. And so I really believe that in your life, if you have a good, strong, solid day-to-day -day work ethic and a good, strong commitment to optimistic thinking, forward thinking, then you will probably never have a bad year. You really won't. Um, and, uh, and if you do, you want to really think about uh, just how much of your life you believe is in your control. Um, I've just, I, maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I've brainwashed myself to believe this, but I truly believe that the vast majority of how I feel, the vast majority of what happens to me, the vast majority of where I end up is all done by me. It, it all links back to me and how I choose to react to everything that happens around me. Um, I want to encourage you and remind you, especially the young people in this class, uh, never, ever, 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 ever be tempted to go into any kind of victim mentality. Um, it's all, you're always better off when you've convinced yourself that you had some sort of control over the situation, even if you didn't really have control. So uh, just keep that in mind. Okay, so uh, without further ado, um, I want to bring in um, our special guest. Uh, uh, Tulsa, do you, uh, do you mind uh, turning your camera on, brother? Sure. Uh, let's see if I can uh, pull him up here on the screen. I think you guys might be able to see him before I do. So there he, there he is. Okay, there he is. All right, brother. Uh, okay, so first and foremost, um, Sorry I'm so dark, man. I have no idea why I'm so dark. Maybe I gotta <laughs> lean back so I can have Sorry. a light shine on my face, but, but uh, I'm, I'm, in Columbus, I'm in Columbus, Ohio at a new location, so I didn't know that the darkness was gonna be so crazy, but, uh, okay, first first thing, man, I do not want to mispronounce your name. It's alright. So can you pronounce that for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pronounce it for me. Bro. My name is pronounced Tosin Oduwale. Tosin Oduwale. Okay, that's not yeah. so hard to say. It's not so hard. Yeah, it's not that hard. All right, all right. All right, well, I'm, I'm going to keep practicing make sure I say it right. All right, well, welcome uh, to the Black Wealth Academy, Thank Mr. You. Oduwale. Thank I'm you. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Um, okay, so uh, let, let's start from the beginning. All right, now you uh, are what uh, might be defined as a real estate Wholesaler, is that correct? Uh, well, that was how I started in the business. That was how I started about two years ago. I started as a wholesaling in real estate, which is basically you okay. were, you're you're basically just brokering deals for investors. You know, it's similar to what a real estate agent does, but uh, you're more in the you know guerrilla tactics, guerrilla marketing tactics. You know, 
And so uh, that was kind of where I started to kind of um, raise the capital that I needed to become a full-on investor in real estate, you know. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so um, let, let's start from the beginning. Okay, so I know that you, uh, your parents uh, came here from Nigeria. Correct. Uh, which, which actually is interesting, and maybe you can help me know if this is just a, 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 a stereotype or not, but... I, most Nigerian families I know are very committed to education, right. and also they tend to have a very strong commitment to uh, economic cooperative economics within their families. Right. Um, can you talk talk to us about that a little bit? Because I think it's important for African Americans to kind of learn from cultures that just uh, seem to get it right. Definitely. Well, I mean, I, I will say that is very true. Um, what was tough for me is that being that I was born here to Nigerian immigrants. Growing up in the American school system, I kind of lost the importance of education and the importance of working together. And it's really something that I didn't really regain until I was much older, probably about 19 or 20. And so uh, I think that's, that stems from, in, in Nigeria, everyone is trying to get out. They're trying to leave. They're trying to go to a place where they can be valued, where they can grow. And they see America as like a, a quote unquote, a promised land. And so the mindset that they have before they come here is that, hey, we're going to outwork everybody we can. We're going to be the smartest that we can. We're going to take advantage of every single opportunity that we can because they know where they're coming from. There, there's no student loans in Nigeria. There's no financial aid. There's no mortgages for houses. If you can't afford a house, you're not buying a house. You know, if you can't afford to buy a car 100 percent, you're not getting a car loan. You know, it just doesn't exist in that in that uh, framework. And so a lot of Nigerians, or just Africans in general, when they come here, there's all these, these opportunities that they see and they're just like happy, like, oh my God, this exists? I, I can put three and a half percent down for an FHA mortgage and buy a home, you know? And, <laughs> and so they really, just, they, they really just take advantage of all those things because they know where they came from. And so um, as I got older and I kind of realized that, oh my God, like, you know, I've been kind of... Um, being a bit lazy and a bit uh, not really taking advantage of the, the, the different opportunities that I had. And I, and I kind of woke up. And, and so, yeah, you, you are correct. I think Africans in general, not just Nigerians, but just Africans in general, when they come to America or just foreigners in general, you know, whether they're from India or Pakistan or, or Asia, when they come here, it's kind of like, hey, you know, there's all these opportunities and all these, um, you know, quote unquote, shortcuts that we can take to get to where we would not have been able to get to as quickly had we stayed where we came from. Mm. You know, and I think that's interesting. I, I, you know, I, I think um, um, it, it's, it's funny because in a way, hearing you kind of honestly reflect on this, and I believe you and I agree with you actually, um, you know, it runs in such contrast to um, a mentality that many African Americans embrace or one that's fed to us or that we feed to each other, which some might even call a victim mentality, to be honest, yes. that says there are no opportunities for black people in America, that, that, that there's just no way to get ahead. And I run into that a lot when I say to people, look, there are, you know, it's not great for you, yeah. but it's not horrible for you. Exactly, I mean, yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do yeah. here that you can't do anywhere else. Very true. And, and, and so with people, but the thing is, we have this natural resistance to anybody who says, I guess because it comes with so much other baggage, but we have this resistance to those who 
people say America is the land of opportunity. You know, they're waving the, the little flag. And this is the, flag, the guy, the guy who's let me uh, work here, he's uh, got the flags on the. He's military, you know. I respect him, but but you know, they're they're telling us America is the land of opportunity. And we've got so many black folks that will say, no, there's no opportunity. You know, the only choice we have is to be destitute and to struggle. And and I, I don't, I just don't believe that. I yeah. do believe actually. That there is a lot of opportunity. Definitely, here. definitely. And, and the you know, but if you say that, some people say, "Oh, you're Uncle Tom. You must be a Republican. You must be." No, I'm just a realist here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, definitely. So. I mean, I, I don't think it's as easy as it would be for someone who's a Caucasian or for someone who this is their homeland. I don't think it's as easy. But is there no opportunity for us to, you know, beat them to the punch in certain places? Creativity can take you a long way, you know, and just recognizing what you do have in your toolbox can, can help you a long way, even if it's not a lot. You know, if you have three tools, then you need to utilize those three tools as much as you can and get as much as you can out of them. And, and, and there, are, there are a few tools which we do have. I, I mean, I think in, in, the, in the most recent years, just the, the prevalence of like financial aid, it's making it a bit more affordable for people from our communities to go to college, whether it's community college or a four-year university or a two-year university. Um, as far as the, the, the housing is concerned, it, it's, it's been easier in the last 10 years for minorities to purchase homes than it has ever been in the history of America. You know, with the housing crash that happened in, in 2007, I believe, and with everything crumbling and with, you know, America just so desperate for that industry to come back, you know, the government was like, you know what, we'll, we'll do FHA 3.5%. You know, in the 80s, if you didn't have 20% down, you weren't buying a house. You know, I have a cousin who his father, oh, I just helped him purchase a home not too long ago. And his father told us that uh, in the 80s when he bought his home, his interest rate was 15%. And I just helped his son close on a house for 3.8% fixed. And it's when you look at the contrast, it's like now our generation, even though millennials don't like to buy. <laughs> they love to rent. They love to not invest in themselves. And it's like now is the time when you should be investing in yourself. You know, it, the time when our parents and our grandparents were doing it, they were doing it when it wasn't as easy as it is now. And, you know, I, I, I feel that I think it, it comes with a, a lack of information. Uh, a little bit of it is ignorance. You know, a little bit of it is not wanting to, I guess, um, grow up. You know, um, I, I, I can tell you from just personal experience, it took me till I was 25 before I realized that I needed to start making better decisions, you know, and and so, so some people may they may wake up before some people may wake up later. But um, I, I think um, that's really a huge problem with just the young people in our generation, you know, and. Wow, so so you're talking about the young people now. Now you don't look too old yourself. Now, now, <laughs> that was the job of people my age to talk about the young people. That, how old are you, man? Uh, I just turned thirty in July. Oh wow, wow! Well, happy birthday! Thank you. But, Thank you. Know, yeah, thirty, thirty is a good year. And I, I like that approach. I like that attitude. I think, um, and I'm glad you're here because I want people to kind of learn from this. Now, let, let's dig a little deeper into. Um, you know, not just uh, you know the landscape and what's out there, but also uh, how people can kind of uh, get into this. You know, uh, you and I both know real estate is a is a huge uh, investment opportunity if you Correct. do it right. Um, I think a lot of people, when when you talk to them about investing in real estate, it just seems so overwhelming. Yeah. They they feel like they have to have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. They they're afraid of things going wrong. You know, if I buy some property and I don't I won't know how to choose the good property versus the bad. 
Um, how do you, what, what do you say to people when they're looking to just get started uh, in real estate investing? Well, I say as long as you've had a job for two years consistently, it doesn't matter whether you're working for a huge Fortune 500 company or you're working for McDonald's. If you've had a job consistently for two years and your credit score is at least a 610, 620, you qualify to purchase a home anywhere from a single family to a four family. And I think one of the big misconceptions is that people think, oh, if I buy a home, I have to stay there for 30 years, or I can't move, or I can't go away. And that's what hurts people of my generation because they wanna travel, they wanna go to LA or Miami or New York, they, they wanna live young and, and travel the world. And they think that, oh, if I buy a home, I'll be stuck here in St. Louis, or I'll be stuck here in Jackson, Mississippi. And it's, it's just not true. It's just not true. Just because you have a mortgage somewhere, you know, you, you can rent out your property, you can use Airbnb, you can use HomeAway. There's so many ways where you can turn your residence into an income-generating property, and you can be wherever you want to be. And so I think it just comes with knowledge. They, they just have to be educated on their opportunities and, and their options. And there's a lot of options that we have, whether we're minorities or not minorities. There's a lot of options that we have that people just aren't aware of. So, you know, as, as, as they say, knowledge is power. It, it's true. It's true. The more you know, then the more options you have, the more possibilities that, that you have. And I just think, you know, we're not aware of all of our options. And so we're, we're able to fall into these preconceived notions of I can only do this or I can only do that or I don't have enough money or I'm too young. And it, it, it definitely hurts us. Interesting. Okay, so, um, okay, so, so maybe uh, uh, in terms of specifics, um, I want to make sure everybody here gets, you know, just really gets what they need, so they can take some notes and walk away and sure. get started. Um, what would you do if, if, if you, you know, if, if someone just said, "Look, I don't know anything about this. I've just got a couple thousand dollars. I've had my, you know, I've had my job for a while, um, and I just want to kind of get into this game." Um, you know, what specifically? Are there any sort of specific steps you can think of? that I, I could do, say, in the next two or three months yes. to kind of start you know, digging into real estate. Correct. So um, so let, let's say you've had your job for about two years. Uh, what you want to do is you want to pull your credit report, all three, Equifax, TransUnion, Experian. You want to make sure that everything that is on that report is accurate. So you want to have either a credit specialist go through your credit report or you yourself, you just go through and you see what is yours or what's not. And so if there's something on your credit report which doesn't belong to you, you can send a dispute letter or you can call up that specific credit bureau and dispute and tell them, hey, this that's been reported on my credit re uh, report is not mine, take it off. If they can't prove that it's yours by law, by federal law, they have to remove it. And so um, basically the way the FHA mortgage system works, FHA stands for Federal Housing Authority. So for 3.5% down payment, meaning for every $100,000, all you need to do is put down $3,500 and you can purchase from a single family to a four family unit building. And so I know from tax refunds, we get $3,000 from tax refunds. So that's something that anybody can get and save if they really are focused. And so um, just having two years job, a credit score of at least 610 to 620, and $3,500 and you can purchase an investment property without having to do anything special, without having to be a magician, without having to, to be rich, without having to do anything that is amazing. The, the average Joe can do that. You know, the average person that is 
20 years old that's been working since they were 16, or that's been working since they were 18. Whether you were at a diner, a McDonald's, Jack in the Box, wherever. You've held a job for two years. That's all lenders look for. They want to know that you are, number one, responsible, that an employer has kept you on for 24 months. You know, and, and from there, really, the sky is the limit. You can start from your first property. After a year and a half, two years, you can grow up. You can move on and get more. And you can kind of just grow your real estate portfolio as you grow. And one of the things that I think is amazing about real estate is that compared with a 401k or a pension, the cost of living increases 3% every year. So if I have a pension that I'm going to cash out on in 30 years from now, the cost of living today is going to be much lower than it's going to be in 30 years. So when I start receiving my pension, it's probably got not going to be enough for me to live off of. Simply because 30 years, 3% times 30, the cost of living has doubled almost 90% since when I started working. And that's the reason why a lot of baby boomers and a lot of people that are you know, in their 50s, 60s, 70s that are retired, they're not able to live off of their pensions and they still have to work. And, and they find out that they're working a bit longer than they thought they would. And so us just being younger, we can kind of offset that a little bit by diversifying, getting into real estate. Um, I've seen you preach uh, a ton of times about 401ks and Roth IRAs and the other ways that we that, that we can just diversify our money and diversify our funds to just build generational and long lasting wealth. And, you know, you don't ha everybody does not have to be a billionaire. Everyone does not have to be a millionaire. As long as your living expenses are lower than what your income coming in is, you're in gr a great space. And that's why I think we need to un understand. You know, it's not about looking like these rappers and having five gold chains and Rolexes. And that it's not about that. It's about living under your means, ha making sure that your income is more than what your living expenses are. You know? Well, you know, I, well, I'll tell you, man, it's funny. You know, when we talk about the rappers, I was just talking about the rappers today. And, um, and, I, and I was telling people, people are asking me, you know, what, what's your big vision? What's your big dream for 2016? And I said, well, number one, I don't, I, I can't, I don't really think much about my personal dream or my personal vision. I'm thinking about the vision for the community. And then number two, I'm not really thinking about the dream for 2016. I'm thinking about the dream for 2116. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that we're playing, we're playing an intergenerational game here when it comes to changing culture, changing wealth. You know, right. like if you talk about how in Nigeria, how education and, and cooperative economics are just so important in so many families, and and that even that it seems to me that you even were able to fall back on that. You know, even though you walked away from it, you circle back around to what you saw as a child. You know, almost like uh, you know, I have I have cousins, for example, who run off in life and they do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. One of my cousins went off; he became a drug addict, a pimp, everything else. But then when he finally got right, he came back and became a, back, uh, yeah. a, a preacher. Uh. You know what I mean? He became a preacher because his daddy was a preacher. You see what I mean? Now, I'm not saying you did all those things. I'm just saying yeah, like, yeah, that, that to me just says that. Most of us tend to sort of circle back to the original culture from which we came, mm. you know, uh, that, you know, and, 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 and so I think that in our community, um, I think that we do have an opportunity to develop, uh, to plant those seeds for a wealth building culture that's just powerful and vast, such that uh, that's just going to be sort of the fundamental premise of who we are, that when we get defined by a stereotype in 100 years, yeah. I want one of those stereotypes to be, 
all those African American people, they own everything. There you go. You know, they all own. Yeah. They all own businesses. They all. They, you know, you give them money, they just keep their money. Mm -hmm. They only do business with each other. I want people to say that, and I know that that's possible because here's 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 what lets me know it's clearly clearly possible, and it probably won't even take a hundred years if we do it right. Um, if you look at uh, other stereotypes of us. You know, the, the black boys want to be uh, rappers and athletes. Mm -hmm. That's one stereotype that exists. That stereotype has not been around very long. Yeah, very I mean, true. You only had rappers. Rappers have only really been in existence for less than 50 years. <laughs> That's true. You know? Yeah, it's so, true. So, you see what I mean? <laughs> uh, and, you know, the NBA, the, that, that dream really hasn't been around that long. Not, not 100 years. I mean, basketball, the game of basketball wasn't invented that long ago. So you see how short of a period of time it took yeah. for those stereotypes to take hold exactly. and that culture to take hold. I believe that in a generation, even, we can have a wealth-building, entrepreneurship-based kind of culture that takes hold as well. Yeah. We just have to fight for it. You know? Definitely. Uh, definitely. Now, I want to ask you about, uh, about something about your day-to-day. -day. Now, you work directly with uh, someone who's highly respected in your field, uh, along with yourself, uh, Mr. Jay Morrison. Correct. Um, tell me about your work with Jay and just kind of what that's done for you and how that's kind of gone for you in, in terms of uh, you know adding to your own experience and abilities in real estate uh, okay so um I, I first started off as jay morrison's student you know um i had joined his uh his real estate academy and at, at that particular time i was just trying to i guess just improve my situation economically you know i wanted a bit more money I, i've worked jobs i worked at jack in the box i worked at starbucks I, i've worked every type of hourly job and i just never felt any type of fulfillment from it and so um I, I really thought real estate was going to be something that I would be passionate about. And so um, from working with him, I kind of learned more to be more collective as far as to stop thinking about myself. You know, it's like, okay, when you get rich, then what? You know, like you can get money. Like anybody can put a plan for themselves and get to the monthly income they want or the yearly income they want. But what are you doing to leave a legacy? What are people going to say when you're dead and gone, I think you're just gonna say, "Yeah, I remember Tosin. He was uh, he he was rich. He had a nice car. He had a nice house. He had a pretty girlfriend, you know." And it was kind of just like Jay was more focused off of, "Okay, yeah, we can do that, but also we can teach others how to do it. We can help families. We can help people learn how to be, you know, uh, uh, intelligent and sophisticated and be self-sustaining." So instead of us, the number one, one of the most stereotypes that we have of Jewish people is that they're just financially amazing. And that's not always true about all of them, you know? And so we were, we, were, we were thinking that what if we could create that same type of thought about ourselves so that when we think of other African-Americans and when we, when, when we think of other black people, we think of them as being financially amazing. How would that make you feel being a young kid from Baltimore or from Chicago, and you're like, okay, yeah, so this is what I'm supposed to be as a black person. This is the stereotype I'm supposed to be as a black person. I'm supposed to be smart. I'm supposed to be intelligent. I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur. I'm supposed to be, you know, heavily involved in my community and building up my community and providing jobs and education. And so that was really one of the things that we figured out, how can we do that to make that cool, to make smart cool, to make helping out each other as cool as going to the club and popping bottles. You know, and, and that really, that really, really just intrigued me because I was like, oh, my God, like there's other people thinking like this. Like I've never met a group of individuals that actually were dedicated and focused to not just building themselves up, but building all of us up. You know, there, there's no 
leader in our organization. There's no boss. It's like we're all equal. You know, we all bring something to the table. We're all important. And that's the way I want to see not only myself, but every other black king and queen that I come in contact with. I want to see them as a potential building block to us building up that, 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 that's, I won't, I won't say stereotype because I, I want, I want that to be what we actually are, you know? And I, I think that is what's going to transcend later on that when you grow up thinking you're supposed to be a certain way, that's what you be. If you grow up seeing rap videos and drug dealers and pimps and gangsters, then psychologically, subconscious, part of you is going to feel, okay, well, I'm supposed to be a little bit thuggish. Well, I'm supposed to be a little bit, you know, aggressive. I'm supposed to be a little bit this way. What if we thought that we were supposed to be intelligent, sophisticated, running the financial industry, running the country, being leaders, you know, and I, it, it just really excites me just to think about what I can contribute to that to make that a reality to where the things that we think we're supposed to be are positive things that build up the culture and build up the, the communities as a whole. It's like, how do we make this cool? You know, how do we make this that the 13 year old that's in eighth grade is like, yeah, when, when I grow up, I, I'm, I'm going to be a, a CEO of a Fortune 100 company, you know, like, how do we do that? You know, and, and so I, I think that's really what uh, I think Jay Morrison was able to really just to get across to us and really just have us think about the bigger picture. It's not just about what we do for ourselves and how we fatten our own pockets. You know, it's about what we do as far as in the larger scale, because nobody's going to remember how much money you had when you're dead and gone. If you're not a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs, you know, like nobody's going to remember how much money you had. So it's, it's kind of just about, you know, what do you do in, in, in the interim? You know, so I love it. I love it. You know, I think um, I think that's exactly I mean, that's exactly the right mindset. You know, I think it's beautiful. I mean, you know, leaving leaving a strong legacy really is the key to your immortality. You know, you um, you're, there are pieces of you still here even when you're gone. Yeah. Now, um, I want everybody to know that you can ask questions uh, in case I didn't mention that earlier. I know I put it in the chat box. I wanted to uh, reiterate that to you, and I see that there are three questions that have already come in uh, from. Uh, it's funny, Rashida, Shaquita, and Renee are the first three. They all live in Atlanta. Okay. You know, yeah, when I, when I come to Atlanta, we're we going to have a party because we have so many students down in Atlanta. Um, okay, Rashida asked this. She says that she's already finished real estate school. However, I believe I only have a year to take the state test. Is this true or does it vary from state to state? Okay, so in most states, yeah, it's a year. You have a year to take the state exam. And so um, if you don't take the state exam within that year, then you have to go through your licensing classes process all over again. So um, what I did, as soon as I was finished with my licensing class, I signed up for the state exam within like the, the next week. And um, I didn't pass it the first time, I'll be honest with you. It took me five times to do the exam. The first four times I failed it by between two and seven points. But I just told myself I'm going to keep taking it every single week until I pass it. So um, if you do wait too long, then you'll have to pay whatever your fee is. I know for me it was three ninety five. So if you wait to that year and that expires, then you have to pay your fees again and you have to take the classes all over again. So it's best to kind of just get on it, get it out the way, and move forward. All right, all right. Um, Renee wants to know, uh, Tosin, between single family units and multiple family units, which is a better investment? All right, so uh, <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> I think multifamily is the best. And the reason why is that, number one, 
if you have a single family home, right, and you have a mortgage for a single family property, if you lose your job and you can't take and you can't pay your mortgage, the bank is taking your home. End of story. If you have a two family home or a three family home or a four family home, which you qualify for under the FHA program, if you lose your job, guess what? You still have income from the other three other units, your other tenants that is coming in so you can pay your mortgage. So you can live for free, being that you're occupying one of the units and the other unit is gonna pay your mortgage. So I think having a multifamily home, if you're a beginning investor, or if you have a small family, or if you can just put up with you know, having tenants for a few years until you get to a point where you can now have enough money to go and get your own home, multifamily is the best way to start. It's, the, it's, it's kind of like an insurance policy, you know, because whether you can pay your bills doesn't depend on whether you have a job or not, you know. We cannot, for example, my girlfriend, she worked for a mortgage company for two years. She was one of the best employees in that company for a while. They promoted her, increased her pay. Two weeks after they promoted her, they fired her because the housing industry slowed up. It wasn't because she wasn't good enough. It was because they just couldn't afford to pay her and 16 other individuals. Now, if we had a single family home and let's say we were depending on her income, guess what? We wouldn't have been able to pay our mortgage and who knows, we'd be out in the street within a matter of three months because the banks don't play. They will kick you out fast. You know, so having a single family home, having a multifamily property, if she was to lose her job, if I was to lose my job, if we were to lose any external income, we would still be able to live comfortably and not lose our shirts, as they say in business. So I think multifamily is definitely the best place to start. It's it's the best uh, insurance policy. It's the best cushion. It's the best pillow you can have when you're starting an entrepreneurship and you're really just trying to figure out and gauge what your tolerance is for risk. You know, it's, it's the best place to start. Danita wants to know, uh, do you provide real estate mentoring? Yes, we do. So depending on what, well, it doesn't really matter where you are in the country. Uh, anywhere you are, we do provide one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, as well as online mentoring as well. So it really just depends what um, you're looking for, what's best for you. We try to accommodate anybody that we can. It doesn't matter whether you're in Milwaukee or you're in Texas or you're in New York, New Jersey, we will come out to you. You know, we want people to know that we are actually invested in your success. And it, it doesn't matter where you are. If you need us to be there, we will be there. Okay. Um, the next question is from uh, Ms. Jaquita, who would like to know, uh, what are the benefits of investing with a real estate license versus just investing without a license? Okay, so um, there's not a lot. I would say if you have a real estate license, really the only advantages you have is that you have access to what's called the MLS, which is just a multiple listing service. It's just basically you can see properties as soon as they come on, on the market, but um, it doesn't really give you that much of a head start against other investors, you know? So, I mean, um, you, you can have first shot at properties. But uh, if you don't want to get your real estate license, that doesn't necessarily decide whether you're going to be successful in real estate or not. There's a ton of people who don't have real estate licenses that are doing well. They just have a realtor that's on their team. So, I mean, if you are a real estate agent, you do have your license. Yeah, you know, you don't have to go ask, ask somebody to, you know, hey, find me properties that fit this scale in this county. You can look, look it up yourself, but that's about it. 
Okay. Um, yeah, let's see. So Shaquita has another question. She asks, uh, she says, many people talk about how purchasing apartment complexes can be approved based on the profit margin of the property versus your income. Is this true? And if, if it is or is not, can you elaborate? Uh, it's very true. However, the financing will come from a different place. Now, if you're going with a bank, a credit, or a credit union, you have to have a job. You have to have a good credit score. There's certain, I guess, uh, determinants that they want from you. But there's such thing as hard money lenders. There's such thing as private lenders. And they are plentiful. Where as long as you can bring between 10 and 20% of the purchase price, it doesn't matter if you haven't had a job since 1986. They will finance you to purchase the property. So it just depends on uh, where you're getting your financing from. Okay. Uh, all right, great. Uh, Danita wants to know, um, what state are you out of? All right, so I'm based out of New Jersey. Uh, I operate in New Jersey and New York. Uh, so that's where I'm concentrating in right now. Uh, I am originally from St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up in St. Louis and Chicago my entire life. So uh, definitely a, a, a mid Midwest boy, you know, but... um. Right, right now I'm on the East Coast. Okay, all right, all right. Well, uh, you ain't no, you ain't no boy. You a man. <laughs> uh, I respect you as a man, but I know what you mean. I was messing with you, bro. Um, okay, so uh, Ronaldson would like to know: Is location really the key to real estate success? What, what are some factors somebody might think about when they're making a real estate investment, according, you know, based on your experience? So, uh, location is all relative to what you're trying to do. You know, if you have a restaurant, if you're trying to open up a restaurant, then yeah, location is key because you want there to be traffic where your restaurant is. But if you have residential property that you want to rent out, it just has to be in a residential neighborhood. That residential neighborhood may not have 100,000 cars driving by every day, but if that's a place where people live, then that's what's important. So it really just depends off of what your intentions are which, with whatever property you own or with, or with whatever property you're trying to buy. So it's, it's all relative. I know they say location, location, location. Location is all relative to whatever your goals are. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, it's funny, believe it or not, I think we got through, <laughs> we actually got through all the questions. Okay, um, okay so let me, let me ask you this, man. Um, so, you know, in, in the time that you've been kind of working in this, uh, in this area, uh, what are some projects that you're involved in right now that, that, you know, kind of have you excited and kind of spinning your wheels in terms of learning, uh, you know, what's out there you know, for real estate. Okay, so um, I'll probably say the biggest project that I'm involved in right now is that um, I bought a parcel of land from the city of New Jer of Newark, New Jersey, back in February. They were selling different uh, lots of city-owned land to different developers in the state to develop and and build property, just to just so they could have different land that they could tax and things of that nature, and so. They were offering these properties for so cheap, it was ridiculous, $1,000. So um, I purchased one, and what we decided to do is instead of building something that we could immediately profit off of, we decided that we were going to build a home for a homeless family to live in. And so the purpose of this is that during that time that they're living in that home, we're going to teach them financial education. We're going to teach them how to save. We're going to teach them how to write checks. We're going to teach them how to build their credit up. We're going to teach them everything that they need to be financially literate. And then after a certain time, whether between 12 to 18 months, we're going to get them approved for a FHA multifamily home. 
and allow them to get their own home where they can live in one unit, rent out the other, and never have to worry about being homeless ever again. And so um, we just closed on that property about three weeks ago. Uh, we got a lot of local news uh, coverage, newspapers, TV, things like that. And so that's what really has me excited right now because a lot of the people that bought that, that the, the property from the city, they were looking to just, you know, come up personally. You know, they were looking to have delis and stores and, and nobody really was thinking about, okay, how can we use this opportunity to, to give back to our community? Because all of those properties were in urban areas, every single one of them. None of them were in the suburbs. And no one was thinking about, okay, how could we use this to kind of buy our neighborhood back for us? And that was the main motivation behind it. It's like, you can't control what you don't own. You know, you move out to the suburbs and, you know, there's only one black family for every seven white families or one black family for every seven Asian families. You're not going to be respected as you should. You're not going to be seen as an equal. The only person that's going to love you as much as you love you is me. Somebody who looks like you, you know. And so um, that was really the motivation behind it. it was like, let's buy back our community and do things for ourselves that nobody else will do for us. You know, nobody's going to give you a home for a year and train you how to be financial literate so that you can do this by yourself so that you can never need me again. Nobody's going to do that. They're going to want to give you enough so that you always have to come back. That, that's what welfare is kind of about. It doesn't teach you to be self-sustained. It, it, it's kind of like, you know, We'll help you out for a little bit, but, you know, some people use it the, the right way. I'm not going to say everybody on welfare doesn't utilize it. You know, my mother was on welfare and she utilized it very well. But um, it doesn't teach you to be self-sustaining, you know, and I, I felt like this particular opportunity was a great way how we could start with one family and see how this works, see how this works out and figure out what hardships there are, get the kinks worked out. And if we can scale it and do it on a larger scale the next time around. I think it would be wonderful, you know, for us to own our own communities, like how the Chinese have Chinatown, how the Italians have Little Italy, you know, how the Jewish have their own. We need our own communities, too. You know, we need our own place where we know we can come and find jobs and find a, a good life and find good schools and find people that esteem us in the way that we deserve to be esteemed. And it's going to take people to actually say, you know what? I may be smart enough or qualified enough to go and work for this Caucasian company, but no, I'm going to seek out an African-American-owned company, and I'm going to take my degree and my talents to them, you know, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, invest it in them, you know, I, I think that's what we really need, you know, we really, really need that, you know, there's a lot of us that are smart, there's a lot of us that have a lot to offer, it just goes back to the 50s when... The, the first educated black men and the first educated African-Americans, when they got successful, they went straight to the suburbs. And so even black, some, there used to be black lawyers and doctors that lived in the hood that, that used to exist. But after a certain time, when they realized it was like, hey, I, I can afford to go out to the suburbs and they left. And so now the good element of our urban communities was now leaving. And that was what led to the destruction and the, just the crumbling of our neighborhoods because everything that was positive was thinking, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I, I, I want to bring that back. Instead of running away, let's run two. You know, and that, that, that's well, really... Know, the... I, 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 well, I agree. I mean, I think it's, it requires a, uh, a shift in mindset because, you know, where, where, you, where you invest your resources, um, you know, it depends on how you value the thing you're investing in. 
uh, depends on um, you know your perception of, of the risk of the investment, things like that. And what I mean by that is, you know, when you have black professionals thinking about where they're going to invest their lives, where they're going to invest their careers, mm-hmm. the careers uh, in many cases they um, they didn't they, they traditionally have not seen much value in investing their careers in helping the black community or investing their lives in doing things around black people in black neighborhoods, you know, with black businesses, et cetera, uh, maybe because they felt that they were going to be playing for the losing team. And uh, in a way, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you view an investment as a bad place to put put your resources, then what happens? You don't put your resources there. And if everybody thinks that way, then that thing actually becomes exactly what everybody thinks it's going to be. Yeah. You know, like I, I'm not, I'm not going to the hood because I don't value the hood. That's a bad place for me to be. And so everybody like me thinks the same way. So the hood ultimately becomes a bad place to be. Yeah. You know, because all the, all the, you know, there's the brain drain, the the, the drain of yeah. economic resources, the drain of of everything, everything positive, and the only thing that remains is that negative, yeah. um, which which is exactly what we have now. So in some cases, not in all cases, I think I think the tide is turning a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, and I think we have to use that that political momentum uh, to make that happen. You know, uh, for example, I just saw today. Uh, I was watching, uh, and I think the activism is all linked to this. I saw where Black Lives Matter uh, in Minneapolis. They had um, they they got a restraining order to keep them out of the mall because they're disrupting spending in Minneapolis. Big okay. time. I just love it. I want I want to fly out there and help them if I can. But then, so then when they got the restraining order at the mall, they went and blocked the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I said, that's what I'm talking about. And, and I like that, just that very loud, unapologetic blackness. Yeah, yeah. And it makes it, you know, it, it adds to the whole idea of it being cool to be black. You know, now yes. it's not cool to be the old Uncle Tom anymore. Uh, you know, like people will, will clown you for that. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's, that's true. Exactly what that. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah, right. So, so, you know, uh, so some more questions came in. So apparently, uh, when I said we were out of questions, it looks like everybody just kind of jumped in and said, okay, well, let me talk to him before he goes. Uh, well, I love it. Um, well, first off, uh, Stephen Gordon wants to know, uh, do you have a website and how much do you charge for mentoring? Uh, yes, we do have a website. It's uh, J-M-R-E-P-A-R-T-N-E-R-S, which is jmrepartners.com. Uh, and, you know... The coaching, the mentoring, just depends on what you're looking to to accomplish. We have things as low as two hundred and fifty dollars to I think uh, ten thousand dollars. It just really depends what you're looking to accomplish. Uh, we don't try to oversell anybody or overprice anybody. We look at what you're trying to accomplish and just try to get you help you from your step one to to, to grow. You know, so it's not an upsell type of situation. Um, a lot of times, a lot of the things that we do don't even cost money. Sometimes it's just a little bit of free consulting, which is going to put you in the right direction. So uh, sometimes, you know, it's just a little bit of, a, of us just, you know what, let's give you some ideas, send you off in the right direction. You don't have to pay us anything because at the end of the day, this isn't about us making a buck. You know, it's about trying to help as many people as we can to kind of just get us to the, 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 the place that we want to see ourselves. Well, what I'll say is, um, <clears throat> is everybody, uh, if you're looking for mentorship from Jay and Tolson, um, you understand that e- even if they say it's not about them making a buck, it should be about us helping them to make a buck. So if you reach out for the mentorship, you know, offer to pay for um, offer to pay for something, offer some sort of financial support, uh, because uh, businesses can't 
can't operate on just goodwill. Correct. You know, they, they have bills to pay. They have employees to pay. So, uh, you know, uh, if you believe in what they're saying and what they're doing, uh, support. You know, I think, but I think everybody here already understands that. I just want to reiterate that. I appreciate uh, very, that. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, no, no, no problem, man. Okay, so uh, Donita wants to know, um, are there any, or what are the quote-unquote hot real estate markets right now, if such a thing exists? Okay, so uh, a hot market is also relative. It also depends what you're trying to do. I think any rental market is a hot market because no matter what city or state you go, there's going to be more people that are renting than people that own. So if you're looking to make money in real estate, you want to focus on the rental market. You know, like that's really a hot market. So any any, any capital of a state or any city that has a high population or any college town, any place where there's, you know, people that are not looking to buy anything, they need a place to live. They're not going to be sitting on the bus stop for the whole two, three years that they're in that town. So uh, I, I think definitely, definitely, if you're looking to make money in real estate, you want to kind of, you know, kind of shy away from the fix and flipping craze. Because if you ask me, I think that's not really uh, scalable. You really want to focus on the rental income. Mm, I like that. That's interesting. You know, <clears throat> I'll tell you, Tolson, I just read uh, a study uh, just a few days ago that was saying that uh, the average rent in America has now risen to $1,372 yep. a month. Mm -hmm. And they said that, that half of all Americans can't even afford to pay the rent and and uh and what's crazy is that this is this is what in the conclusion everybody from what i'm telling you is <clears throat> you don't really want to be uh, a worker and a renter in this country for very long yeah. if you can avoid it yeah. because not only can ha ha half of all americans not afford to pay the rent but they said now child care is huh. more than rent wow <laughs> and, and in fact the child care for one child exceeds the cost of in-state tuition at an wow. average American university. Wow. So, don't, and, and so don't have three or four kids, and, and then you know, and then be trying to be a single parent and all this stuff, and working for somebody and renting. It literally is an equation that cannot compute. It does not work. Yeah. It, the math doesn't add up anymore. Um, so you've got to think about how your life is structured uh, from an economic standpoint, and it all ties together. Everything links. Never think that your economic life is separate from your personal life. They are all one and the same. And it's funny. It's funny, Tulsa. I mean, I think, I think, honestly, I think women always understood that. You know, yeah. they always had songs like "Ain't Nothing Going On But the Rent." <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and you gotta have a job if you wanna be with me. Yeah, yeah. If you're, if you're a man without a job, your attractiveness factor plummets. Very true. But a lot of men, you know, men don't always think that way. Men no. don't always think about how uh, our partnerships play a huge part in our economic survival. Definitely. And uh, and, I, and I just think that everybody needs to understand that family, how you structure family. I mean, family is a structure. It is as much a um, an economic and social structure as it is a structure of, of love and all these other things Definitely. we think it's built on. So keep that all in mind as you build your businesses and build your empires. Um, so uh, Shaquita would like to ask you, Tosin, uh, can you talk more about buying land for development of subdivisions, farming, etc.? Okay, so those would be two different questions. So um, buying land for subdivisions, meaning for residential subdivisions, is going to be completely different zoning than what would be for farming. So typically where you can get zoning for farming, there's not really going to be any residential developments within miles of that area. So if you wanted to, say, open up a business where you're providing 
you know, your local supermarket with fresh produce, whether it's cabbage, corn, carrots, then you could buy farmland. But um, if you're looking to do subdivisions, there's also a lot of zoning that goes along with that. And a lot of those zoning applications that have to be filed for, and they, and they don't happen overnight. Sometimes it could take you a year, year and a half, two years to get the town to approve for a residential development. So you really have to find out, um, is that area, is the town even willing to even zone for that? Because a lot of things, a lot of times that happen is that people will buy land and they have these plans for this land that they bought. And when they buy it, they go to the town and the town won't approve them zoning for that. So those plans are out the window. And so now they have to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with these 10 acres I just bought? You know, so it, it just really comes down to just doing a lot of research on what you want to buy, what you want to buy it for. And just making sure that whatever your plans are, you're actually allowed to do it in that area to begin with. You know, and so um, I, I think if you wanted to go into residential development, that's definitely a profitable uh, venture. Uh, it, it is kind of capital intensive. Um, there's not a lot of uh, first-time homebuyer financing you can get for that. I don't think there is any first-time homebuyer financing you can get for building developments. So I think that would be more of a, uh, a business move that you would do as you're further along in your real estate career and you've kind of uh, saved and raised a certain amount of capital, relationships with lenders, relationships with banks, and then you can now venture off into that. Um, farming is a bit easier to get into. You know, there are a lot of tax breaks with buying farmland. It's just that me personally, I don't know too many people who have chosen to I guess go that route of buying farmland and, and taking that route. But I, I, I do know you can have some success if you are like a local supplier of, you know, if there's a Walmart in your area or a ShopRite or an Aldi's or whatever's in your area, if you can be the supplier for that grocery store, you can make some decent amount of money. And, and there's a lot of subsidies you get from the government for buying farmland as well. Uh, land trust? No, I do not. <laughs> I'll be, I, I, mean, I do not. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, I do not. <laughs> I respect a man who can just say, no, that's my, not my thing. Yeah, so I, I do not. It. Yeah, don't, don't even worry about it, brother. Uh, <laughs> Renee, if you, if you want some more information on land trust, we, we can look it up together. So don't even worry. Brother, he knows, he knows a lot of stuff. Uh, apparently, land trust is, is uh, not one of them. But, but uh, he does quite a bit. Um, Maya wants us to repeat the website. What was the website again? Uh, it was jmrepartners.com. So it, 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 it's a synonym, synonym for J. Morrison Real Estate Partners.com. But it's jmrepartners.com. Jmrepartners.com. Okay, Correct. I just sent the email or the website out to everybody so they will have it. Um, Robert asks, uh, when you have income coming from rental property but want to invest in others, he says, he says that the problem is uh, credit card debt uh, well, personal credit debt uh, to income does not factor in rental income anymore. Um, are there any strategies to get around this, i.e. corporate? Uh, um, yes. Does that make It does. I, I understand what he's trying to say. So um, he's basically asking, can I use maybe an LOC or business credit to buy property when I've kind of overutilized my personal credit? Because credit bureaus, they look at your credit utilization. And once you pass 33 to 35%, they're looking at like, hey, you're leveraging your debt a bit too much. You're hedging a bit too much. 
And so they won't really approve you for other properties when you already have one or two. So um, what you can do is if you have an LLC that's been open for at least six months to a year, you can begin to build business credit. And so you can use your lines of credit against your LLC. They may, they may want a, a, a PG, which is called personal guarantee, but they won't really take into consideration what your personal debt is or what your personal income is. And so you can use those lines of credit that are based against your LLC or against your business to now use that and to go buy other property and to kind of grow your real estate portfolio. Okay, great answer, great answer. Um, Donita says, uh, do you look at, at factors like the unemployment rate or political climate in a city when you're looking to invest? Not at all. Has no factor what, whatsoever. Okay. All right. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Robert wants to know, uh, should I incorporate my properties? Uh, yes. If you can, you should incorporate your properties just simply because all your expenses, uh, the expenses, if you're an owner, then, you know, if you're, if you're paying some of the utilities, if you're paying heat, water, utility, sewer, then you can write those off. They're tax deductible. You know, anything that you do, if a, if a tenant calls you at two in the morning or calls your property manager at two in the morning and the toilet's broken, and you have to shell out 130 bucks to, to fix a toilet. That's tax deductible. So you definitely want to incorporate as soon as you can, if you can, just because it lets you just cut down your expenses. It's less that you pay back to Uncle Sam at the end of the year. And so I would definitely advise that as soon as you can, if you can, incorporate your properties, all of them, every single one of them. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Carolyn wants to know, what are your thoughts on renting to someone in Section 8? All right, yeah, so this is a great topic. So um, I love that idea. And so I'm gonna tell you why. My mom, uh, when I was young, it was actually my mom that kind of like shined real estate to my awareness. She bought, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, she bought a single family home for I think it was $10,000. And she rented out to Section 8 tenants. And so when I got older, she told me, she said, Tosin, do you know the reason why I only, specifically only rent out to Section 8 tenants? I said, why? She said, number one, because it's guaranteed income. But I'm like, mom, what about, you know, the bad reputation of Section 8 tenants? They destroy your property. They tear up your property. And she's like, the only people that say that are people that haven't rented to Section 8 tenants before. You can screen. Yeah, yeah. You can screen your tenants. You don't just have to take whoever they give you. You know, like you can screen. So you can interview them and say, you know what? These guys seem like they're going to turn up every Friday. You know what? I'm not going to rent to them. And she was like that. In her experience, she rents to the elderly and young professionals who work all the time. And preferably people who don't have small children. If they have kids, that's fine. If they have 13 year olds, teenagers, fine. But she said, preferably people that don't have small children because number one, somebody who's 70 years old is not gonna be having, you know, 20 people on your porch every single night, blasting music or smoking or whatever. You know, and she was just like, section eight is wonderful. It's great. You never have to worry about chasing your tenants down for rent. You're getting a direct deposit first in a month from the state or from the federal. Or if it's a situation where the state's paying 80% and the tenants are paying 20%, you know, it, it's much easier for somebody to pay $200 a month than to having to pay the whole thing of 800 or 900 or 1,000. So um, I think Section 8 can be a, a foolproof way for you to ensure that you're going to be making money off of your rental properties if you screen your tenants properly. Wow, wow, excellent information. 
Okay, guys, uh, we got one more question, and then I'm gonna let this brother get back to his Christmas. He, he's doing this for us over the holidays, and that's 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 why he's he's gonna be a billionaire one day. Amen. Amen. I accept it. What, what's that, brother? I said, Amen. I accept it. <laughs> oh, there you go, man. There you go. So, um, uh, all right. So, last question is from Danita. She says, for investment newbies, would you recommend investing where you live first and then venturing out? Uh, or in, uh, venturing out in other states, or does it matter? Oh uh, yeah, it matters. I think that if you're a newbie, you definitely want to invest in where you're at first, just because you want to be as physically close to your first investment as possible. Because you're still learning, you don't know how this business goes yet. So if something goes wrong, you want to be able to be able to hop in your car and drive over there and see what's going on. And you know, in the beginning, you really want to have as much on-site, on-presence experience as you can. Now, as you kind of figure it out and you kind of get a, get an idea of how it works and you kind of get uh, affiliated with different property managers and you kind of just get a bit more confidence in, in running a property, then you can venture off into other states. But definitely for your first property, you want to make sure you're as, as physically close to it as possible, whether it's a mile away or 10 miles away, just as long as you're close, as long as you're not an hour away, that if something happens, you can hop over, you can hop in your car and drive over there and figure out what's going on. I think that's very important getting in in the beginning, you know, very important. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it almost seems that uh, with real estate it's so funny because you you have these extreme examples, you have the people that do really well and they're happy with it, and then you have the nightmares, yep. you know, the, the scenarios where people, which it's almost like the worst thing they've ever done. What do you think about the idea of somebody, uh, if they're trying to invest in real estate for the first time, um, you know, it, it almost seems to me like it might be more beneficial for them to find somebody who goes their way around, somebody like yourself. Pay them a little, pay pay some money as a consulting fee, and say, okay, I've got some cash. This is what I'm trying to do. Help me get this done in a way that's not going to cause me to lose my shirt. Uh, how often does that kind of happen in your line of work? Uh, it happens all the time, actually. I mean, um, I think that um, what definitely helps is that if you have someone that you can pay that you have access to. You know, um, I, I've seen a lot of these gurus take money from people. You know, a lot of these gurus that they have a great online presence, they have great websites, and they, they preach this. And I know because I've been taken by one before. You know what I'm saying? So I remember when I was 19 or 20, and I was first trying to figure out real estate, and I bought a program from someone, and they sent me, I believe it was 12 binders and like 22 CDs. And I was like, and buried in all that information was what I need to know. And it's like, are you serious? Like, come on, I'm not going to find this information. You guys just sold me a package. And so I think just having someone who that you have access to, someone that can come out there that you can see, that you can see face to face or that you can talk to on a regular basis that, or if you can email or that you can FaceTime, face chat. Just having that interaction to where, you know, you feel like, okay, this person is really invested in what you're doing, you know, and I, I think that can really, really help you in the beginning. But you really, really, really have to be careful to not fall for or send your money to the millions of gurus that are out there. And I'm sure you probably know how many people have academies and have these online systems and these programs and these infomercials. And it's like, if, if you're not really, and, and it's somebody who's new to it, it's easy for us to be taken. I was taken, you know, so it's kind of just just really, really making sure that you um that you're dealing with with people who have integrity, you know, and people who don't just don't want to, 
you know, take your money. You know, that, that that's really the most important thing. Well, you know, my, my argument would be that, um, number one, it's always best, I think, uh, if, you, if you like someone and, you, you know, like someone's academy or whatever it is that they, they have and you want to know. What I do is I'll, I'll see what I can buy as kind of the minimum. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know, on, the, on the e-commerce side, we always talk about the minimum viable product. Yes, yes, you right. spend to get the information you need. Same thing is true on the consumer side. Very true. You know, okay, you, you told me about the $2,000 program. What, what can I get for you for 20 bucks? That'll show me if, if you're for real or not, you know, that where I can kind of get started, get my feet wet a little bit. Um, also, uh, do you have a money back guarantee? Yes. Uh, my argument is that, you know, that people who are delivering true value will have a money back guarantee. Sure, some people are going to come in and they're going to manipulate it, the, the system and screw you. But the majority of people, if you give them value, they're not going to do that. Very true. You know, at the Black Business School, for example, we have a money back guarantee on all of our classes. And um, and it's because we have faith in our product, the Black Wealth Bootcamp. We we're like, look, if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Yeah. And um, and so I think that that might be something people want to look for. I'm talking to you guys who are listening. Um, you know, when you're sort of vetting through, I think word of mouth is very powerful too. Uh, yeah, if you yeah. have people that you know, so with the bootcamp, I always tell people if they're interested, I say, hey, why don't you talk to some people who've done it, and they can tell you more than I can. You know, whether or not it adds value to their lives. Um, and so um, I think those might be some ways to kind of filter out the bad and do the good. But I really do think if you find something that's good and you find something that works and you find expertise that adds value to your life, um, go ahead and pay for it. Definitely. You know, go ahead and do it. Um, because because the funny thing is that, you know, we're, we're sort of trained to go ahead and, and drop, you know, 80000 going to college for four yeah. years, uh-huh. you know, and, and for a degree that sometimes isn't worth the toilet paper in your bathroom, uh-huh. you know, but yet somebody wants to sell a class for two or three hundred bucks or a thousand bucks. We, we, we freak out. Oh, my God, I can't do it. But, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, done, I've done classes and learned systems that have changed my life, Definitely. you know. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm talking about where I spent a couple thousand and literally learned how to make another 80000 in the next year, yeah. you know, so, so I, I, I'm, I'm big on online education, I think online education, if I had a child that was 18, about to, you know, venture into life, um, I wouldn't tell them not to go to college, but I would tell them to consider all the options yeah. and figure out which ones add the most value, definitely, so, definitely, there you go, that's much of sense of that, definitely. I'm gonna let you go, man, you know, you, you've given us an hour of your time over the holidays, and I want to say thank you, thank you so much, I appreciate you for having on me, it was, uh, definitely, uh, a blessing for me to get a uh, an email from your staff. I was like, this is not real. <laughs> I was like, this is <laughs> not real. Yeah, so. you know, I, 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 I'm nothing, brother. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a guy who does his job, man. And I, and and the, the, the fact is, you know, I think uh, all of us working together. You know, I think that's what makes it all go. Uh, because when you look at the state of black men in this country, you know, in terms of the struggles and the the, the economic ostracism, etc. Uh, you know, black men really have to network and work together in business with each other yeah. so that we don't have to go begging other people to take care of us. Yes, yes, That's yes. the biggest problem for the black male in America is a tremendous amount of economic, unhealthy economic codependency. Yeah. It's not even really codependency because codependency is when you depend on each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our dependency is like one way, yeah. you know, and so, so when we get rejected by the white man, we, we're just out here destitute roaming up and down the street, begging for money at Walmart. In fact, a brother emailed me today and said that. He said that his brother um, actually uh, had gotten a degree from Caltech or something and was really smart and uh, went to industry, couldn't get the job he wanted. He said, now my brother's out in front of department stores begging people for money. Uh-huh. You know, and it, and it's just, it's just, it makes me cry every time, every time I see it. I can't, 
I can't take that, you know. So I think so. So me working with you is not it's not me doing anything, any kind of a favor for you. It's what we're supposed to do. Yes, yes. You know, and uh, and I want you to I want you to give Jay my best. I haven't had we haven't had a chance to get on the phone and talk, but I see what he's doing. I know it's tremendous. You guys are, are just killing it. And in fact, one day when I come to Jersey, man, maybe we can all sit down and hundred percent lunch or something. Hundred percent. Absolutely, man. Well, well, thank you so much once again, everybody. This is Mr. Tosin Odewole. Correct. Odewole? Yes. yes. Hey, right? Odewole. Yes. <laughs> and uh, his, uh, his website, it was jmrepartners.com, correct? Correct, yes. All right, jmrepartners.com. Okay, everybody. All right, well, I'm gonna, we're going to take on off out of here and... Uh, uh, follow up, feel free to follow up me if anything comes up uh, that you want to talk about. You got my email address, and I hope you guys have a merry, merry Christmas. I probably won't talk to you until after Christmas, but um, I'm still here with you in spirit, and I want to encourage you to just push for your dream. Um, this, the time is yours. The time is now. Um, don't let anything stop you. Don't let fear hold you back. Just dig, dig deep and find that goal. If you think you can reach level eight, I want you to pick the goal that's at level 12. And I want you to just kick your own ass and get to level 12 no matter what it takes. You can do it. Don't be afraid. Go for it. All right. Well, I'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good night. Take care, my brother. Take care. All right. Peace. Wow. I can't believe that just happened. I just got off an hour-long interview with Dr. Boyce Watkins. Like, I'm happy right now. That was, that was on my bucket list. That was on my bucket list. I respect that man so much.